Hey ladies, in this episode we'll be talking with my good friend Shannon and we're going to be talking about codependency and her experience with that. I've had several of you reach out and say, hey, I'm struggling with this and I need a little help. Well, I have not personally experienced this, so I knew she would be the one to go to. So stay tuned and enjoy her message. Hey sister, do you feel stuck? Do you feel like you're living each day over and over on a loop? Maybe you feel like a failure because you keep telling yourself that today will be different. You wake up each morning hoping to do better, but when the afternoon rolls around, all your promises to yourself are shot. And society screams, you deserve to have that drink, eat that piece of cake, and scroll mindlessly through social media. Hi, I'm Michelle Porterfield, certified mindset and breakthrough coach, mom of three, former daily wine drinker, excuse maker, and promise breaker. Coffee's my jam, dry shampoo is my BFF, and I am so glad you're here. I have created this community to help you walk in faith towards freedom from alcohol and other strongholds like it. Together, we will work to show you your value, your strength, and your ability to overcome. So pop in your earbuds and go for a walk, or buckle up for your commute. Girl, get ready for straight talk and the truth, because it's time to elevate your mindset, develop healthy routines, and begin to thrive alcohol-free. So I'm here with Shannon. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you. Say glad hi. to be here. Hi. So we're just hanging out again in my room. Like I love that my friends are, um, especially these first two interviews, are local. So we can just hang out. Got the kids downstairs watching a movie. And so here we are, just raw and real and coming to share with you. And like I said in the intro, we're talking about codependency today. But first I want to just let Shannon just tell us, like, you know, tell us a little bit about who you are and um, just like a little bit about you. Well, I, um, I married my high school sweetheart right out of high school and he was kind of like the bad boy of the Christian high school and I was the good girl in the Christian high school and um, I thought I could fix him and change him and make him to what I wanted. We got married right out of high school. We started having babies. We had about four kids um his drug addiction kind of started right out of high school um probably actually started during high school but i was in a lot of denial about that and things kind of went from bad to worse and uh, i was an enabler a fixer and i wanted him to be what i wanted him to be and not really understanding that he's his own person and so we actually divorced uh, 10 years into our marriage and i was a single mom with four kids um, for a good, I don't know, five to seven, five to six years before I married my husband now and um, learned a lot about codependency and recovery and addiction and that's kind of how I became ministry leader at Celebrate Recovery at River Hills. I've been there for about three years, but I've been recovery for more than, more than 15 years now and um, it's oh, been awesome. a great tool to learn and, and grow. That's cool. And I can't wait to dive in a little bit deeper. So we may have some listeners, though, that, like myself, are not super familiar with codependency. So can you share what is it? What is codependency and what does that mean? Codependency in the world of, um, like, addiction and there's... In, in the world of addiction, there's uh, the addict and then there's the enabler and or codependent. They kind of run kind of hand in hand. You know, the addict 
uh, thrives on feeding their own addiction and they need someone to take care of them or do it a lot of taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I fell into with um, with my first husband. Um, it was all my fault. Everything was me having to make him happy. To break it down more simply, codependency is making other people happy and not really making yourself happy. Kind of at the expense of, of your of our, happiness. Of ourselves, yeah. yes. Um, we almost take our eyes off of God. Well, it's not almost. It's exactly taking our eyes off of God and putting it on someone else to meet our needs and our expectations. But in reality, we're meeting their needs and their expectations at the expense of, of our own lives. Um, similar to growing a garden, we feed their garden and we make their garden grow while our garden dies hmm. because we are not paying attention to our health and our own lives we're too busy making sure that their garden thrives wow that's a good metaphor too I guess my thing would be is this something that takes a lot of people like would it take time to really realize what like that's what I'm doing (laughs) yes you know (laughs) it's like how do you come to the place where you're like oh this is what this is like if something that they can hear you say and then they're like oh shoot I'm doing this you know yeah it it really took a long time a denial is one uh hard horrible thing really denial is um and everybody's timing to come out of it is is different I mean I remember being in my first marriage and saying and this is horrible I remember saying okay well if he puts my kids in danger, then I'm leaving. If he, mm. like, so I would draw a boundary. If he, Yeah, mm-hmm. if he does this, then I'm doing that. And, well, if he hits, if he hits the kids, then I'm going to do that. When, and then, like, each boundary, I move it. Because my desire to have my family whole was more than my desire to be healthy. Mm. And it was, and, and protect my kids, talk about denial as a parent who does that hello I did it (laughs) and and it's like some other people can look at that and say what the heck is wrong with you and 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 when I was in it I couldn't see it I couldn't see it I wanted God to fix him and make my marriage to my expectation so who was playing God there I was at the expense of my kids and even myself and that's hard that's codependency that's denial Mm-hmm. to the extreme so how did you go from and I'm kind of going I gave her some questions which we'll get there but I'm kind of going just kind of listening and mm-hmm. because I'm thinking if I'm listening like okay then what's next so how did you go from living in that and setting those boundaries and moving those boundaries to to going wait a minute this isn't what God wants mm-hmm. and like taking that step what mm-hmm. like what was your journey well my journey was Every time he would relapse, he he honestly would say, I'll never do it again. And I honestly believed him. And every time he would relapse, I would be like, something's wrong. We have got to get help. So we went to a Christian counselor. And I went to a Christian counselor. And the Christian counselor said, you need to go to Celebrate Recovery. And that made me so angry. I was mad at my counselor for telling me to go to a recovery because I was not the addict. Right. 
who are you to tell me <laughs> that I need recovery when he's the one who is, you know, whatever, doing all, doing all, doing all yeah. the, and, and I'm like, and you're telling me I have to go to recovery? And I'm like, no, I'm not going. So my counselor really got kind of frustrated with me. And finally she said to me, she was like, I'm not going to see you if you don't go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting by our next meeting. So the people pleaser in me went the day before our next meeting. And honestly, Mm, um, you know, God puts people in your life at the time that you are able to receive the information. During all of that traumatic time in my marriage, I wasn't able to hear what people were saying. And they were saying it. But I wasn't ready to hear it. I wasn't ready to surrender to the Lord. I wasn't ready to stop playing God. I wasn't ready to give up on my marriage because this is what Shannon wanted. Mm. And I stopped looking at God and I started looking at my ex-husband and what my expectations were of him. And I was going to make him do it. And it wasn't until I got into recovery where my eyes were taken off of Tim and put back on God and I was able to grow my own garden. I was able to water my grass and take care of myself. You know, the Bible says, um, you know, love others as you love yourself. And I was too busy loving him. I didn't love myself. Who in the right mind who loves themselves continues to live in an environment where your kids are being hurt and you are being hurt and there's no food and there's no electricity. Why? Because the person that you love is doing other things. No, I wasn't loving myself or my kids. So until I started loving myself first and then loving others, was God able to do a miraculous work in my life? And that is how my recovery started. Well, that's beautiful. And the fact that I think all of us, I don't know, not all maybe. There's a lot of us women that can even take just a tiny bit of guidance from that because loving ourselves is big. And a lot of women, they they don't even know, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does my love, you know, loving myself mean? And like, how do I do that? And if I do, am I being selfish? Mm-hmm. And I would say if we're looking, if we're listening to what Shannon has to say and we're looking at our lives and say, you know, just like lots of the conversations that we'll have on this podcast is this particular example, you may not can resonate, but if you listen to the underlying challenges, maybe the beliefs that she had about herself and relationships or beliefs that we have about if I love myself, then I'm being selfish. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of women can relate to that. And then even on a tiny level, like if we're spending a lot of time pleasing our children, I mean, I've seen that a lot among moms and like they're, they spend so much time doing that, that, you know, I'm sure that can be an even form of codependency to your own children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. So I want to know too, like, obviously we talked about this earlier that it was imperative for you to go, you know, to be pushed from your therapist to celebrate recovery. But are there any things that, any other things, you may have mentioned them, but that you might have um, wished you knew in the early days that you would kind of share with other people? Yes, actually. I wished um, that I knew I could change my mind. Um, I went to a seminar, and it was called Love is a Choice. 
And I do believe love is a choice, absolutely. It's a choice that two people make to each other and to God. And if if the other part of the choice, if he's choosing and I'm choosing, then that's going to be successful. I wish they had known that I could change my mind Mm -hmm. because I thought that my word was my bond, that um, I didn't want to ever be called a liar. I went to a marriage seminar called Love is a Choice, and I made a decision to marry till death do us part, and I didn't want to disappoint God. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't think even through the abuse and even through the drug addiction, even through all of that, that I felt like I didn't have a choice. Um, And it wasn't until I had to get right with God, because even then I wasn't even right with God. I was still trying to earn my way to a a good marriage, earn my way Mm. to being happier. You know, if I if I just pray for him and God's going to get a hold of him and and I've got to be a good enough wife and I have to be a good enough person, then God's going to work in his life. Tell me how stupid that is. (laughs) (laughs) Not when you're in it. I can't work his recovery. I can't work. I can't make him love me. I can't make him love his kids. But my mindset was if I was good enough, if I did enough, if I sacrificed enough, if I walked through the fire with him, then in the end, God was going to bless us even more. But in reality, who was doing all the work? It, it was it was me. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't even really see God in him at all. Well, what I can hear in that is what, some of the things I struggle with is the control of that, mm-hmm. is to think that I actually have enough control to do these actions, complete them, make them turn out like they're supposed to, and then, then you know, receive some kind of reward. Mm-hmm. So then that seeps into... <laughs> yeah, that us being God. You, yeah. It's like, okay, God, yeah. I'm going to do all these things so that you will bless me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who do we think we are that we can tell God that, that what we want and Him to bless us for telling Him what we want and what we're going to do for Him, and He's going to give us what we want. You know, it just... And when, when I put God where he was supposed to be, which was first in my life mm-hmm. and not anyone else, not even myself, not even my own desires, and just say, God, whatever your will is, you know, I will do what you say, period, end of story, no matter what that may look like. Um, and if that's, you know, if that's a, alone, um, which it was, thank, thank heavens it was, you know, then, then I'll go your route because your way is better. Mm-hmm. So let's flip. Let's flip that though, because I just thought of something when you said it. So you're thinking, okay, if I'm gonna play God, and if I do all these things, if I please Him, then I'm gonna get this. Mm-hmm. What if somebody's thinking, well, I struggle with the opposite. Like if I don't do the certain good things or obey in a certain way, then God's not gonna bless me. Or if I because I think that they still could struggle with, like we talked about earlier, like, well, if I leave, then that's that's bad, quote unquote, because I've grown up in church and they tell me that, you know, divorce is bad. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I'm going to be punished, so to speak. What would your insight be there? In a marriage? Yeah. Okay. So my my first thought is boundaries. You know, whether you're married in the same house or whether you're married and you need to work on yourself... Um, is to set boundaries, um, biblical, strong boundaries. Like, 
um, whatever you're, you're struggling with, go to the person and say, um, you know, what, what's happening here is not biblical or, you know, we need to pray about some stuff and maybe we need some time apart, but I'm not interested in divorce, but I really want you to work on you because I can't make you be or make you do. Um, but God can, and I'm praying for you. Let's just take some time and let's work on each other and, and set those healthy boundaries. Because I think one of the biggest problems is expecting others to do what we want when we want it Mm -hmm. and being able to set boundaries to make them do what they want when they want it. And then we have to decide, is that acceptable? Is that okay? And, um, so you know, did you learn about boundaries through Celebrate Recovery? Yes, I did. I did. I read a book called uh, Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Mm-hmm. And it really changed my perspective on taking on other people's responsibilities. And in my first marriage, I felt like I had to do it all. I had to make him happy. But in reality, he has his own things that he needs to do for his own self, his garden. You know what I mean? I I can't go over there and help his garden. And he may want me to come over there. And Mm -hmm. I have to be able to say, uh, you know what? Um, you have to be at work tomorrow at like six, seven o'clock and I'm not going to be your alarm clock. Mm -hmm. You have an alarm clock. Set your alarm clock and get up. And if you're late for work, guess what? It's not my fault because that's your responsibility. I use a tool when I give my testimony. It's called the hula hoop. And um, just imagine yourself standing in the middle of a hula hoop. And the hula hoop goes around you. And everything inside that hula hoop is you. Your recovery, your, um, your health, your finances, you know, your part in how you raise your kids. Um, you actually join um, a little bit of your hula hoops when you have kids. Um, because you're both responsible, um, until they turn 18 and then they have their own hula hoop and, or aging parents when they get older, you know, God, God says that we, um, are to, uh, to help the widows and the, and the orphans. And so if you're healthy enough, you know, to be able to pour out of your hula hoop into someone else's, um, but, uh, you know, everything in your hula hoop is for you. And I'm not getting out of my hula hoop to take care of yours. And so setting boundaries and understanding, wait, is this my responsibility or is this your responsibility? And being able to say to that person, um, I love you, but that's not really my responsibility. And so I'm just going to let you handle that because that's, that's over there on, on your side. And I'm just going to take care of my side at the moment. But I have a story, um, that came to me when you were sharing that because I've actually had that challenge sometimes where, and I think for me, now this is, you know, me self-diagnosing, so to speak, but mine is more control. Uh, and I've talked about this before, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram and I just kind of started discovering an Enneagram and I like it because it really breaks down a lot more about like how we move when we're energized and we move in the growth pattern and then how we move when we're unhealthy. And uh, I'll just say now it's your Enneagram coach. She's on Instagram. She really filters this whole 
uh, process through Christ and his love for us and how he's designed us. And I will say I've taken a bunch of different personality tests and this is like unlike any other. And I still go back and check it because I'm rec I recognize things in me. And I'm like, man, and I go back and I see, oh, well, this is where you go when you're unhealthy. You know, mm -hmm. you're detaching or, you know, and I'm like, okay. So I, to say all that is to say that control is definitely a struggle of mine. Mm -hmm. So I had a time, this was years ago, when we had some family coming in at the airport. And I knew that Michael was responsible. That's my husband. He was responsible for picking them up at the airport. Well, he had, you know, been working a lot. It was hot. And so what I knew after the fact that he had come home and taken a nap. Well, instead of just letting it happen, you know, my phone starts blowing up, you know, is, uh, you know, Michael's going to be at the airport at five, right? And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm not home. I was still at work. And, and then I started panicking. I was like, well, I know he takes naps in the afternoon. Like, what if he forgets to pick them up? And so I'm, st I'm calling. <laughs> I start blowing up his phone. He's not answering. I start, I think Savannah had a phone at the time too. So I called her and I don't think she answered either. Then I called my neighbor <laughs> and was like, hey, do you see Michael's truck at the house? And, or, you know, is, can you go over there and get him or whatever? And I think they said, yeah, his truck's there or whatever, but they couldn't, you know, and I was just like out of my head. Like I was stressing out so bad. And so I actually went home because I didn't hear from him and was beating on the door and he, he had fallen, he had overslept and didn't set his alarm and was had supposed to be at the airport like right then mm. <laughs> so then he jumps up and blows out and everything and these are people like flying from africa so they're tired and you know the expectation was that you know they're but i just remember later on as i started my journey was like why did you get why did you let all that disruption i mean it stressed me out it probably i don't remember details but it probably cut my workout short or my intention wasn't to come home. I felt so responsible for his actions and his commitment to where even like I created embarrassment. And so I think that, you know, maybe you can touch on that too, because mm -hmm. that's a lot of times in a marriage where a lot of times like we, it's easy to feel embarrassed when there's a behavior of your spouse. <laughs> I have a story too. That yes. you don't, that but you're like, Oh my gosh. That's that's part of people pleasing actually. Is and it? that's actually okay. a big component of codependency. So like what drives my codependency was to make him love me. So he was upset with me. I had to fix something and why? What was the root of that? I wanted him to love me. I wanted to please him. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make him happy. And so in the story you just shared about the embarrassment I'm seeing a little bit of people pleasing for the people who are coming in from, you know, they were being, they were being displaced. What are they going to say about you mm -hmm. specifically if they have to wait at the airport for him to come and pick you up? Did you? Well, intellectually, I know they would never think anything of me. It was because him. Because it was his responsibility. Gotcha. You know, I didn't, you know. You didn't. I didn't think that at all. I just felt in some way that. You were responsible. That I was responsible for yeah. it. Yeah. Because we're married, mm -hmm. and like if he said yes, then I then that means I said yes. Ah, you know what I mean? Yeah, we see the the hula yeah. hoop there. Yeah. So, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I have a similar story, and he might get upset at me, but 
I'm so sorry, Grady. My husband now, I he love... He may not, probably won't hear this, <laughs> so we're okay. I absolutely love my husband. He is the best thing that has ever happened to me, aside from finding and, and loving um, and um, uh, being a follower of Christ. I will tell you that uh, we were starting a church, we were going to church in a Sunday school class, and it was a fairly small Sunday school class. Well, when we, um, he struggles with sleep. And he is supposed to be on a CPAP machine, but he didn't want to wear a CPAP machine. And so um, in Sunday school class, I could see him kind of dozing. I've actually heard this story. Yeah. We've talked about this, so I'm kind of here giggling a little bit. (laughs) This is a good one. So he's kind of dozing in Sunday school class. And I'm like poking his knee and rubbing his hand and... You know, <laughs> making making some movement to try to keep his eyes open because we're in a very small classroom. We are um, there's people all around of us, and people can see. I mean, we're up against the wall in a U shape, so like I can see the people across from me, and they can see us. And he kept dozing off, and finally, I was so aggravated um, that I was like, "Why am I mad?" So I stopped. I stopped poking him. I, I just stopped touching him. I just kind of moved over to the side a little bit. And sure enough, it didn't take long <laughs> for his head to fall forward and some noises to come out. And the whole room erupted in laughter. Yeah. <laughs> and I was not embarrassed. I, I feel like at the point of my recovery, I was like, you know, that's him. That's not me. So on the way home from church that day, he was like, you know, I think I might call the doctor <laughs> and see if, um, you know, maybe I can get some, you know, an appointment or some, you know. But if I had continued to block the natural um, the consequence, yeah, consequences yeah. of what he was doing, mm-hmm. we could still, I could still be in that Sunday school class, poking his arm, trying to keep him awake. And that's one other thing that codependents codependency really does it's not it is it hinders God from working because we're meddling and trying to fix when God is the one who needs to be you know working in their life and if they need to do that through me maybe when I'm healthy enough to be able to say some you know follow his leading in that situation versus always run into the rescue or prevent consequences from happening where there should be consequences. Um, That happens a lot in the addict and codependent relationship. Um, Let's say he spends all the money and there's no money for bills instead of, you know, sitting in the dark. What does mama do of four kids that she goes out and figures out how to pay the power bill? Well, guess what? The addict just (laughs) had really no consequences because, you know, the codependent over here just took away whatever consequences that would have caused you you see what i mean it's just kind of a a big humongous it's a big humongous cycle um but it took many of those for me to realize i'm already a single mom with four kids i'm already Mm. um i'm already you you know doing it by myself and how much more do i need to give myself to someone who is not moving forward, who is continually taking more than he is ever um, walking this journey together with mm-hmm. me. So it, yeah. it was it was a lot of that. Well, that's interesting too because I have had some uh, counseling conversations before too, and even on like the smaller scale, when let people handle their consequence, mm-hmm. was like, 
okay, so let's just say you your husband has agreed to pick up the daughter after basketball at 5 p.m. and raise my hand, control freak, as I'm, I'm a work in progress, you know, communicate that, let them know that they hear you, and then let it go mm-hmm. because they've committed to it. And I have found it in the past where I'm just like, I do that, but then I still follow up. And I still check in and I still make sure that that's going to happen. And so that goes to what you're saying. Well, let's just say that he forgets. Well, she's going to be fine. Maybe just have to sit a little while. If anything, it's going to help her to be like, dude, how, why'd you forget me? Mm-hmm. But then the natural consequence would happen versus, you know, our even this part of that whole mental obsession with controlling things or reminding this person like that's, stress that we leave as moms and women on us because we are out of our hula hoop and we are taking on responsibility of other people's actions. So I think this can be, this conversation can go wide and deep when it comes Mm -hmm. to these choices and consequences and boundaries and all that. Mm -hmm. Now I keep hearing you say the word recovery Mm -hmm. and um, I'm familiar with that too, but I can see where in the beginning and or even like in this when you talk about we're not talking about necessarily for you personally drugs alcohol things like that we're talking about codependency or people that struggle with anger or money issues like how can you explain recovery to those that's like that sounds like a weird like Mm -hmm. hush hush word Mm -hmm. like if i tell somebody i'm in recovery they're going to think i used to be Mm -hmm. an alcoholic laying on the side of the road so can you explain that pretty much um Alcoholics Anonymous, AANA, and all of that, um, I guess, is the biggest, uh, when you say recovery, those are the two things that really come to your mind. Um, And those are, you know, have a lot of stigma on them. Um, But pretty much recovery is anything that you put before the Lord. Um, And... AA and NA, those are obvious things that they have um, before the Lord. Like what's controlling their lives? Drugs. I call my word. Drugs. I use a lot. Stronghold. Yes. Something that has a stronghold on you. Right. So um, recovery is is pretty much twelve steps, and so um, celebrate recovery is Christ centered twelve step program. NA and AA, they talk about a higher power. Um, but in Celebrate Recovery, we actually call that higher power uh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, working the 12 steps um, and the eight principles, uh, the first principle is realize I'm not God, which is exactly what we've been talking mm-hmm. about. Exactly. <laughs> and so yeah. once we come to the realization that we're not God, and once we come to the realization that we have a problem, something is hindering my relationship with the Lord. There is an idol. There is a stronghold. There is um, something wrong uh, with our walk. She had wrong in quotation marks. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, You know, recovery does have a a big stigma because of the drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, anybody with a belly button has a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. Something in your life has kind of gone askew whether it be um, a habit or a lie that you believe 
that was implanted maybe through a parent or a relationship or a lie that you were holding on to that that God wants to be able to say, hey, um, you know, what you thought was true about this is not true about this. And let me tell you what the truth is. And the 12 steps help you get to that truth. And it's hard. It's not easy. Um, but you work them 12 steps in a, in a step study or, you know, a recovery program. Um, God's going to reveal himself through your ability to, one, surrender to him and be able to say, okay, I'm not God and you are, and I'm going to put you back to where you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. instead of me playing God. Um, He's going to work all that out in his timing, and it doesn't happen overnight, but um, just taking that first step is is huge. Um, But I hate that recovery has a stigma on it, but... But those 12 steps, you know, people come to come to Christ and they're like, you know, God has saved me and I'm and I'm his child now. But now what do I do? You know what I mean? I've got this past. I've got I've got resentment. Anger, resentment is from an expectation not met. You have a lot of that in life. And so just coming to the realization of reconciling yourself with your past and looking at the lies that you've picked up over the years and and giving those to God. If you're a new believer or you know you have something in your past that you haven't dealt with, whether it's a miscarriage, an abortion, or loss of a child, or abuse in any way, um, these 12 steps, they are powerful and God can really um, reveal and heal and, and extract these lies and just pour in the truth, uh, and, and recovery is wonderful. Love recovery. Yeah. And I love that a couple of things you said are talking about. It's hard. Well, um, this kind of this little cliche, but like choose your heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to live in the circumstances that you're living in. That crisis. is hard. Live in crisis all yeah. the time. Or Versus choosing a different kind of heart that you can see progress and mm-hmm. feel progress. And just the whole idea of like, you know, because plenty of people come to Celebrate Recovery, particularly, or anything like they may have already um, established a relationship with the Lord, and some people are new. But the whole thing is says that if you're going to be, you know, you're creating this new, then of course there's a journey. Mm-hmm. You can't just assume that, oh, well, this has happened in my life, so all this, this stuff's going to disappear because this is a lot of what I do with the coaching and um, like the limiting beliefs. And those are those deep-rooted things that until you go in there and work on those, and then you do shine them in that light of what does God say about this and how do we how do we uproot those beliefs and then put in new beliefs mm-hmm. in place of that. And so I think that's just a, the matter of taking the action and doing the work. So um, I've talked about this before. Um, when you start to realize things like, okay, hey, I'm codependent. I'm going to the Celebrate Recovery. I'm starting to have all this this growth. I'm walking through the steps. You know, you are on your journey of getting better and growing. Did you find that other little things started popping up and revealing themselves to you? Yeah, because once, once uh, you kind of know the process and once you start um, walking the walk and talking the talk, um, God is really good at being able, when, when you're in crisis, when, nobody goes to a recovery meeting because they've had a really good day. Um, right. They go because they're, you know, they're in crisis. So when you start 
taking care of that crisis, taking care of yourself, and really finding a good solid uh, ground in your recovery and in with your walk with the Lord, um, which is great. That's when it's almost like um, walking into a room that's full of fog. And you can't see anything at all because the fog is in the way. Well, the fog is your crisis. Mm -hmm. So you walk in and you're like, oh, I need to do something about this fog. That's why I'm here. Help me with this fog in my room. And then the fog goes away and you see hundreds of boxes. We can't navigate this room because there's a hundred boxes in here. So what's the next step is, oh, I've got a box I need to... What is this box? Okay, God is revealing to me this box. And this box is, oh, this is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness from my parents. Unforgiveness from a sibling. You know, or anger. Oh, I got to deal with this box. Thank the Lord all the boxes don't get open at one time. (laughs) Because that would be really difficult. But God can, he won't give us more than he can handle through us. It's not us doing it on our own anyway. And so just paying attention to... um, it's not our own strength. It's his strength through us. And he's not going to give us more than he can handle through us. And that if he opens two boxes at one time, then he's going to give us the strength to go through both of those boxes at the same time. And so not giving up, having that perseverance and accountability and people around you, you never want to walk your recovery journey alone. Um, you'll always have the Lord, but you should always have other people um, walking that journey with you. Accountability community um, reach sure. out yeah you got you guys to have people if you don't mm-hmm. have a tribe and you don't have people um you know you, you'll find those at those recovery meetings and god will lead you and you just stay focused and and he'll well, bring and the right people when, when you need them he'll bring them to you and that's honestly the perfect time to to say like that is such a huge part of my personal just journey and story in general that I thrive off of community anyway Mm -hmm. and there was a season that you know when I was drinking the most isolation was one of the big the big things you know I was pulling away so uh, whatever community looks like for you as the listener it's available to you whatever you choose and that is another reason why I created this podcast in this group so this is what this is for the set free sisterhood group over on facebook yes it is virtual but we have good conversations and we still can connect in a very personal way i actually have several friends now that we have literally connected in groups specifically on facebook we have never touched each other in person or been together and we have some of the tightest relationships we have we're vulnerable with each other we share with each other so i don't want you to think that maybe like oh well i don't live near you or you know i'm not sure how this facebook thing works at least give it a shot and then if you feel like you're in a position where you know you need which at some point you will you're going to need some people that you can touch and squeeze and hold and all that good stuff then this definitely is a good a good direction and I think that's cool that your therapist did that um, because I will say because I'm gonna talk about this later I actually have a I'll have an episode at some point where I kind of compare these groups in my personal experience you know I won't be given you know I'm I'm not gonna ever give you like this is what you should do because I don't know you Mm -hmm. and I don't and even if I did I couldn't tell you what your your journey is gonna look like but I've had experience with a variety of groups, and it's interesting that I actually at some point went to several different counselors through the years, and 
none of them brought that up about Celebrate Recovery. And then that's the one I ended up really, obviously, that's how you and I met. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. All right, so while we're finishing up, I know that you said you had a couple things for specifically the women listening that, you know, how can you encourage them to take some action? And I know you had some mm-hmm. some affirmation type things yep. you want to talk about. Well, first off, um, codependency is kind of really um, hard to navigate if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic and you relapse, guess what? You know when you've relapsed specifically because you've either, you know, taken part in what you have given up. Right. Um, and codependency is more difficult in navigating, um, you know, when you might be outside your hula hoop or navigating um, in your people-pleasing and codependency. So I wanted to give the sobriety, like, what is the sobriety, I guess, notion of codependency? Like, what does it mean to live in sobriety of codependency? Gotcha. And that is, my efforts to please God proceed and govern my efforts to serve, not please others. I am secure in myself because I'm I'm secure in God. My thoughts and motivations are based on works and desires of Jesus Christ in me through the Holy Spirit, not on my behavior and my desires of others around me. I think it's really important to be able to identify um, that it's God through us and that it's, it's not me. It is God through us and keeping that perspective and our eyes on him. Um, pretty much in everything that we do. And once we take our eyes off of that, um, we're more likely to stumble in, um, in, in relapse for codependency. But the best way is to have four daily statements. And the first one is, I will serve, not please others. So serving and pleasing are, are two different things. Um, we're going to serve others and not please others. I will look to God as my source of worth, hope, and joy. I will consistently ask the question in my human relationships, am I seeking to meet a need in myself when I attempt to meet a need in you? And that's powerful. I'll read that one again. Yes, please do. I will consistently ask the question in all my human relationships, Am I seeking to meet a need in myself when I attempt to meet a need in you? And the last one is, I will be dependent on Christ to be the one and only true higher power in my life. And if you ask those four questions, um, I feel like staying on point with uh, your hula hoop, this this is really going to help you kind of stay right in your hula hoop. And I would even suggest that that is something that you put into your daily practice, uh-huh. whether you, I mean, honestly, that's kind of an end of day thing uh-huh. to, to just kind of really assess kind of like your daily you know, inventory. Yeah. And <laughs> just like your, like, even your, like, they call it, um, my nightly thank yous where you sit and, you know, those of us that journal at night or in the morning, but at nighttime, just to really go through like what you're grateful for throughout the day and the kind of just thanking thanking him for your day but then also putting these these statements in there probably morning and night so you can set yourself up for that during the day too mm-hmm. but I love that so as we finish up is there anything else you'd like to share or do you feel complete like you said all you wanted to say it's pretty 
pretty good stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm at the end of it, and I'm like, what did I say again? I know, right? <laughs> no, I, I really feel like, um, you know, um, God has really brought me through a journey, and, and I'm not really happy with a lot of things that have happened in my life. But um, if I didn't have those in my life, then I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. I would not understand to the depths that I understand um, and how God brought me here has enriched my relationship with my husband. It has enriched my relationships with my kids. I really feel like um, his blessings are abundant and and I cannot fathom that thinking about where I was, um, you know, so many years ago in that crisis. Um, and God, God is so good at, at doing the work, looking, um, making those hard choices, setting those boundaries and coming out of it and, um, and giving him the glory. And he's going to continue blessing as long as we continue, um, keeping him first in our life. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the biggest key. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, thank you, and I have a feeling that at some point we're probably going to be talking again because <laughs> we can even break that down and just we could probably have a whole conversation on boundaries and how that works. So I appreciate you and your friendship. Thank I appreciate you. your time, and I know that this is going to bless a lot of ladies. And until next time, my friends, stay blessed. Okay, girlfriend, before you go, if you found value in this podcast and it helped you, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. Every so often, I will read reviews and give shout-outs. To dig deeper, join us at Set Free Sisterhood over on Facebook. I will pop the link in the show notes. And don't forget, if you know someone that would enjoy or benefit from this podcast, share it with them and take a screenshot and post it in your Instagram stories and tag me. It's time to take back our power, ladies, and be set free. Until next time, stay blessed. Michelle.